Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Now Hear This is a music review podcast and is not directly affiliated with any artists or album projects discussed on the show. Think of us like your record collection come to life. Well, except for your three-CD compilation of Ken Burns' documentary Ambient Music. (sighs) Unless this is my dear sweet wife Clarice back home on the farm. In the morning we go off to battle, Clarice, and it's a dreadful, dreadful fright. But thoughts of you and the loving embrace of our son Jedediah are enough to keep me warm on these inhospitably cold evenings. The faint glow of the lamplight dimming in the air, and the hum of cannon fire raging in the distance. Farewell, my darling. We fight upon the morrow. to be nervous about this is a safe and comfortable safe space, space. <laughs> yeah lucy walsh welcome to the now hear this podcast thank you for having me i'm very excited to be here and i'm nervous <laughs> <laughs> lucy is an accomplished singer and, and songwriter and an actress my god you've seen her in not just uh, television but movies as well and lucy every time I think I've got a handle on like what you've done in your career. You say something else and I'm like, she had this whole other life. What happened here? (laughs) I've had many lifetimes. It's true. It's been a wild ride. It feels very disjointed and messy, but I guess that's the beauty of life I'm learning, right? It's not to have it all figured out. It's to change and grow and just keep pursuing what you're curious about is what I try to do. Yeah. Yeah, right? There's that expression, the more you learn, the more you realize you know nothing. You know absolutely nothing, exactly. I'm very, I'm I'm learning to be comfortable with that and excited by that. I think that that is also a theme of the EP that we're talking about today, your wonderful 2020 release, When Life Was Figured Out, which is an ironic title given what we just talked about. But Isn't it? I know. Yeah, you're right. It, it is a perfect way to describe that EP, yeah. So this came out in the um, later months, or I think December 2020, so a tumultuous 
time personally and for yeah. the world. And, uh, you know, the one of the reason we got to know each other is because I work a little bit on the show, the wonderful Lucy and Annabelle show, a podcast you, you do. You work a little bit on the show. You are the executive <laughs> producer. You are the wizard behind the curtain the of wizard. the Lucy and Annabelle show. I am the wizard. I do. You I do, are. Can I tell you this, Lucy? I do get around via hot air balloon. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. You have made our show possible. We have had such an incredible time with the Lucy and Annabelle show since we began uh, in October 2020. And... We wouldn't have been able to do it without you. We appreciate you so much. You're so talented and oh, so grateful for you. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And one of the great joys of working on that show is, as I mentioned, just hearing all the wonderful experiences and maybe not so wonderful experiences you yeah. <laughs> you and Annabelle have both had in the music industry. And, oh, yes. you know, Lucy, I thought we'd just start a little bit here before we get into the record. If we could just start a little bit about how you found yourself in the world of songwriting. Your music is so melodic, and you are a very gifted piano player and singer, but it's your songwriting that I find the most compelling, and that's a tricky thing, right? That's a tricky thing to pull off. And so, mm -hmm. so I was wondering if you could elaborate a bit on your path to a career in music, and I guess eventually acting as well, but yeah. focus on music for now. How'd you... How'd you wind up there? So I don't think I ever had a choice because <laughs> before <laughs> before I was born, my dad, I first of all, I have musical relatives, right? I've got a lot of musicians in the family. My dad's a musician. My, his mother is a classical pianist. On my mom's side, I have musicians. So it was definitely in my blood. And then before I was born, my dad would put music on my mom's stomach and yeah. he would play classical music through I don't you know a handheld speaker or whatever on my mom's stomach and then when I was born apparently this is the story he took me right into the other room as a newborn and was playing classical music for me he, wow. he remembers the piece I can't remember it right now and so classical was definitely hammered into me from birth yeah so it was always just in my family. There was a lot of music in our house. I didn't grow up with my dad, but again, on my mom's side, they were the gospel singers in middle America, in the churches. So I got all that three-part harmonizing yeah. around the house. So my ear became so good for harmonies. And then as I got a little older, around 12 years old is when my dad's band, The Eagles, you might have heard of them. The, I'm sorry, got, who? No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> They got back together when I was 12, and from that point, I was at the live shows. Right. And so my ear training developed further with the harmonies because they're the best in the world. Yeah. And as a teenager, my dad made it possible for me to study with a classical coach, and I studied 15 years straight. Wow. If I wasn't on tour or working or traveling, I was with my coach five days a week, an hour every morning. That's incredible. And my father made that possible. Thank God. I thank him so much for that because my training is ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> it's just, I, I too, I've gone on to teach and train. 
I've worked with university students who are getting their doctorates in music because that private study is so worth it, that investment. So anyway, I was just always a natural songwriter, I guess. I would sit at the piano for hours when I was little and I would play by ear. There's this story my mom tells where she came home one day and I was playing this classical piece and she said, whoa, where'd you learn that? I said, Oh, I heard it at school. The choir was singing it. And I had come home and transposed it onto the piano. I was probably nine. Wow. So I just remember sitting at the piano for hours exploring the sounds that I was coming up with and the feelings that the sounds were making me feel. That was really fascinating to me. I was obsessed with just coming up with sounds that made me feel different things. It was a real outlet for me. And I didn't have much of an emotional outlet other than that because my family just doesn't discuss difficult things. I, I, you know, I can you kinda, relate. I can relate. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think it's very common for most of us that we grew yeah. up that way. And so when you find your outlet, whatever it is for you, it becomes your obsession. It's your safe place. And music has always been my safe place. And so then I just started writing. Writing as a teenager, I didn't go to college. I left high school and started touring right away. (laughs) And I was just writing. It came really naturally to me because it was this emotional outlet. Do you remember your first song? The first one that you you picked out that you thought, this is a song, I'm going to write down the title, this is a song. (laughs) Yeah. I do. It was not until my early 20s that I wrote my first official song that I took responsibility for that. (laughs) And what I did was I took, I didn't know how the fuck to write a song. (laughs) So I just thought, let me start with a piece of music that I'm obsessed with and let me kind of copy it and make my own version yeah. Which I've gone on to use that tactic a lot in my songwriting. Not copying the chords. Yeah. Literally, but copying the feeling it's giving me. Yeah. So I took the four chords from the Lord of the Rings soundtrack because I'm obsessed with soundtracks. I study soundtracks yeah. and composers. I took the four chords. So if you're a musician, it's a minor 6 chord, major 4 chord, major one chord, major five chord. Those were the four chords I used, and I wrote this song called Another Chance. Hmm. It was about a a man I was in love with at the time who was just treating me like shit, and it said, Tell me again how you want me to feel I hate to forget. Can I experience anything real I haven't yet? And sometimes you start to fade, but I find I spoke too soon. There will always be another chance left in me.
So that's where I, that was my first official song. It's amazing <laughs> to see you just bust that out like that. I wasn't expecting that. And then suddenly, there it is. It's just, it's magic, right? Uh, music a bit. You, you can train all of art, I guess, but you can train till you're blue in the face. But at the end of the day, the stuff that matters is the magic. It's true. I'm learning. I've learned that with music and also acting as well. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time training and it kind of just takes you back to square one, which is using your instincts. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty funny. It's like building a foundation for the house, right? And then, yeah. and then you live in the house. And then you live in the house and life happens. Exactly. Yeah. And then you forget all about the foundation. <laughs> you don't see the foundation anymore. Right. It becomes invisible to you, even though it's holding the whole thing up. Yeah. That's the trick. Very good analogy with the house. I like that one. Well, you mentioned you left high school and went right out on tour. Listeners to the Lucy and Annabelle show, and I suspect there's a crossover here, will yeah. know that you Yeah, hi, were... listeners. <laughs> Love you all. We'll know that you've, you were signed to Island Def Jam, and you tell a wonderful story about how you wound up acing that audition. And Oh, my God, yeah. And you wound up making a record. And let me tell you, I've been trying... I know there's some trauma associated with that record although i did try and track it down and i haven't been able to actually find a, a honest yeah. to god copy of it so I the record never came out the single i released a single on island def jam it went to radio and it was on the charts and the whole nine yards and then the album i was dropped before they released my album Ugh. It was finished. It was a 12-song, completely finished album. Lost in the Lights, you're talking about. Lost in the Lights, yeah, with three music videos ready to go. And then they just canned the whole project. It was My cra God. crazy. Awful. Yeah, but you know what? As Yes, we talk about our traumatizing experiences on these labels, but also I had a ton of fun. It was a great, a great Adventure. God, it was such an adventure. So how I got to that was I graduated high school. I tried to go to Santa Monica City College for maybe a semester. It was a horrible yeah. failure. I had no no interest in school. <laughs> and I just knew that I wanted to be performing. And I didn't know how to start. So my idea was go to the city because I grew up north of the city in Los Angeles. I grew up in the Malibu area. So I was not a city kid. I was from a small town. And I went to Los Angeles and I just started going to live shows and meeting people. I would go by myself and I would show up and I would just hang out by the backstage entrance and just be like, hi, I'm Lucy, you know, and just in <laughs> introduce myself to people. I still have many friends that I did that with, like Daniel Bedingfield yeah. has become a really good friend of mine. And that happened because... I would go to all these concerts and I went to Wango Tango. You remember how exciting Wango Tango was every year at Dodger yeah. Stadium? <laughs> so I went to Wango Tango and I wanted to work with Danny. I wanted to be friends with him and sing with him. And I hung out by the backstage and I spotted him and I got to him and I said, Hi, I'm Lucy. And we just... <laughs> If I wasn't a cute little blonde girl, I don't know if it, you know, <laughs> would have gone so well for me, but we became friends. We went on to write some songs together and we're still talking about doing something together. Oh, that's sweet. Um, so yeah, I just started to make friends in the music scene and through that, I became friends with Ashley Simpson. Right. And that was my first touring opportunity. 
Yeah, you were a backup singer, right? I became her backup singer and her keyboardist. Oh, okay, all right. So I was her piano player and her, yeah, backup singer. And we toured worldwide, you know, all over. We played Top of the Pops in London. Amazing. all over the UK and all over the US. I've been to every state in the US yeah. with my touring with many bands. I've gone on to play in many other bands and tour for my own music as well. But that Ashley Simpson tour was my first taste of being right. in front of massive audiences because we played everything from the House of Blues to the Orange Bowl, which was live on ABC wow. in a 70,000 person arena or something like that. I don't Amazing. know. Make, maybe I'm making that number up, but it was a lot of people. Were you in the band for The Notorious? I came into the band right after SNL happened. Right. She called me and she said, help, you know, I need, <laughs> I need, I need some legitimacy to this band. I need these backing vocals to be coming from a real person. You right, know, right. I'm restructuring my band and rethinking this. And I said, yeah, I said, I'm going for my own record deal, but I will tour with you as long as I can. I would love to help out right now. Yeah. And so that was a blast. It's remarkable how much glee the world seemed to take in like taking Ashley Simpson down a peg. It's like, I know who, why did we need to crucify that person? It just, it boggles my mind. And I, I don't know. It, it speaks to the darker side of humanity when I see those things happen. And obviously yeah. the pandemic has showed us a lot of that, but yes. it's just so wild to me that that happened because it's Isn't not like it it's wild? a new thing it's like no people no do it's that. been happening since the beginning of show business back yeah. in the 1800s they would you know build stars up just to rip them down yeah it's ha it's people are very cruel people are very cruel and what i witnessed and what we went through when i was touring with ashley I don't want to talk about a lot of it out of respect for her privacy, sure. but it was very difficult. It was heartbreaking. It was challenging. Yeah. And I was a part of some of the things. You know, when we played the Orange Bowl halftime show in Miami, I think it was, we played with Kelly Clarkson and Trace Atkins, and we were third in the lineup, and we'd been rehearsing for days. We'd been in Miami for about a week to get the show right. There were pyrotechnics. There were a 1,000 cheerleaders on the field with us. Wow. And we all get out there, and Kelly went first, and then Trace, and then us. And Kelly gets off stage, and she's crying. The sound had gone completely out. None of us had any, because we were playing with in-ears. Yeah. It was static. There was no sound, oh and we're God. all looking around at each other. Nobody knows what to do. The crew didn't know what was going on. They had, like, a sound outage. So yeah. we get up there. We had no playback. <laughs> all I had, so the band was playing to a track, and Ashley and I were singing live. Yeah. So all I had was lip-reading her mouth from 20 <laughs> feet 20 feet away. 
Oh my god. <laughs> We're, no not pressure. Only are, no not pressure. only are we in this packed arena <laughs> in the biggest game of the year, but we are live on ABC around the world. And Amazing. I had nothing. We had nothing. So I'm trying to at least stay with her mouth, stay with her vocal. And when you see it on the television, you can look it up on YouTube right now. We are about four seconds behind the band because all we had was this bounce back from this massive arena. You can meet me on an airplane or in the back of the bus. You can throw me like a boomerang on the back and So then we get done and the entire crowd is booing. Oh my God. And they had been booing since Kelly started playing, but because we were last, it looked like it landed on Ashley. Oh, God. So it was just, it was as if SNL weren't heartbreaking and traumatizing enough. It was things like that that continued to go on. Right. Oh, well, I don't mean to take us down a dark path or anything, you know. Well, you know what? No, it's really, it's part of show business. And here's the point. Here's what I learned from it. I believe that happened with Ashley on SNL because she did not have the experience she needed. And over time of performing live, you learn how to Mm. handle things like that. You learn that no matter what goes wrong on that stage, you keep the audience comfortable and you stay in control and you pretend like it's all fine. Right. And the audience will feel okay. They'll go, okay, you know, we're fine. She's fine. It's right. all good. So I have gone on to experience countless things like that in my own career. So I took away something very valuable from that beginning of my touring, and that was shit's going to happen. The worst thing you can imagine, it's going to happen on that stage. You just keep going. It's what I appreciate about your perspective, especially, you know, getting to know your experiences through the Lucy and Annabelle show. I find myself relating a lot to how you react to situations. You do? I was stabbed in the leg, but at least it was like not my favorite leg. (laughs) Or like, I really like hopping, you know, so this is fine. This is good. This is good. I am a diehard optimist. Sometimes it's very embarrassing. You know, it's, yeah, I'm an embarrassingly uh, optimistic person. But you learn from the experiences, I think, what you were getting at, and that's the important thing, right? It's like failure is going to happen, and it's it's what you do with it. Failure is built in. It's par for the course. If you're not failing, something's wrong. Right. (laughs) If you're not failing, it means you weren't trying, really. Exactly. Yeah, so that was how I began. And I've gone on, you know, I've toured with Maroon 5 and all kinds of people. And Bruno Mars? On. Bruno was on that tour, yeah. Amazing. Yep, and I got my own deal at Island Def Jam and left Ashley's band and um, then went on to have a deal with David Letterman's company. But you know the crazy thing through all of it? I have never released an album. <laughs> Do you have, like, a, for just your own personal collection 
an unreleased version of Lost in the Lights, like a CD that- Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have the whole thing. I'll send it to you. And you know, the best thing is I got all the masters back. That's right. So I I remember hearing about this on the Lucy and Annabelle show. That's wonderful. Congratulations. I know. It's like unheard of. Thank you. It took me 10 years. Not that I would ever use them for anything, but I've got my masters back. So I'll send you the Lost in the Lights Lost album. Love (laughs) to hear that. Yeah. Look, you succeeded where my beloved Taylor failed, it seems. I no, Taylor, she's she look, she's a Sagittarius just like me. And she's an optimist and she's like, That's all right. I didn't really like those songs yeah, anyway. Exactly. I wanted to redo some stuff. I'll just do the whole thing over. So now I'll just make all the money in the universe re-releasing yeah. my most popular album. Exactly. You don't fuck with a Sagittarius woman, okay? That's right. That's When's right. your birthday? I am a cancer, uh, July seventeenth. Oh 17th, so. yes, okay. We In fact, to... we went into the hospital for when my daughter was born the night of my birthday, but she just she held on till the morning. So now I don't have a birthday anymore because no, <laughs> she tried. She tried to stay in there a little longer to give you your birthday. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I've never released an album, and I've written over. Three, four hundred songs, five hundred wow. songs. I mean, I've been Amazing. writing since I was a kid. So that's why I chose to release this EP when life was figured out at the end of 2020 because it had been locked down all year. We were all feeling frustrated, yeah. stuck, not sure what to do next. Right. And I just thought, look, I don't have a product right now. But I've got so much music and it doesn't make sense to me that it should never see the light of day. Yeah. I think that's the the most difficult thing I have found as a songwriter is that it's very hard to accept that most of your material is never going to see the light of day, that people are never going to hear a lot of these songs. That's been really bothering me for the last couple of years. I don't need anything from these songs. I'm not counting on making any money from them, but they're good songs and I want people to hear them. Yeah. I know how much music helps people and I feel very selfish sitting on so much gold with all these songs. And so I just decided at the end of 2020 to choose six songs that were from different times in my career, written with different people, produced by different people. They don't really go together. But to put them together and just send them out to the world, come what may, you know, just get it out. Just share the music with people. That's our gift as songwriters. And I I feel Mm. a responsibility to that. So each of these six tracks are from different eras. The productions as well are from different eras. Some of them are clumped together. And we can talk about that when we we talk through the songs. But One of them's just a demo that I never even produced. It was just the writing demo I did with the writer I was working with. So it's a really interesting, but you know what? That's really my personality. My production company is called Mismatch Productions because I'm just always wearing like socks that aren't matching and I like clashing patterns together. I like elements that you wouldn't think go together. I like smooshing a lot of stuff together and just seeing what happens that's that's when the magic happens right is when you're not anticipating it when you're not it is yeah and i've spent so much time trying to be this polished perfect package (laughs) polished perfect say that 10 times polished perfect (laughs) package and that's what the labels are trying to do to you that's what all the voices in society are trying to do to you 
And I'm not a polished, perfect package. I'm messy and everything all at once. And yeah. I'm like a, a ball of everything all at once. And I'm just trying to make peace with that instead of fighting it. Right. I think that might be common. Do you feel that way too? Oh, yeah. I think the last year has taught me a couple things. Is that uh, life is fleeting, extremely yeah. fleeting. Yes. And in fact, the only things that ultimately matter to me, <laughs> I think, are uh, family and creativity. Going back to what you were saying about like, hey, it's selfish of me to sit on this music. That's true. Yeah. When you really think about it, the only things that are going to last in this universe are atoms, math, <laughs> and art. <laughs> okay, the first two I know nothing about, but yes, the art, like, I, yes. <laughs> we, have, we have, we're all composed of these atoms. Math is, yes. math is like how we're supposed to talk to the universe, I think. I'm not good at it, but I... No, you're I, right. I, I love I'm the terrible I, at it. I love the idea that there's a language we can talk to the universe with. It's very no, interesting. No, you're absolutely right. It's all patterns and systems, right. isn't it? And then there's creativity. And, that, and yeah. the creativity almost stands in the face of the math part of it. You're right, because music is all mathematical, so... Yeah. <laughs> I was, you think about it, it's like, what's going to be here when we're gone? The fucking pyramids... The pyramids, yes. Atoms yes. and math. Anyway. It's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> I mean, I think about that a lot. I think in my acting and my music and writing, those three, those are mm. my, that's how I create. We're all different. Even if you're not a quote unquote artist and, you know, you love cooking good food and you love spending time with your children and you create moments and memories together in your family, that's your art. You know, right. it's not about being an artist. Yeah. I'm trying to get away from that. But how I'm an artist is music, acting, and writing. And that's my religion. Yeah. That is where I connect to my higher source, to my God, whatever yeah. you believe in. That is the only thing that makes me less afraid of death is when I am creating because it's leaving something behind. Yeah. And then that messes with you even more because you're like, well, if all technology went away today, my music wouldn't even be here. So what am I even doing? But we should all be writing our music down like the composers from 500 years ago. Exactly. Really. <laughs> and you have to commit this stuff to vinyl because then it will last. Yes. So I am waiting for a vinyl copy of When Life Was Figured Out. So just... Oh. I'm just saying. Well, you know what? For posterity's sake, you know, if the apocalypse comes, I will get on that because you're right. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Like, creation is connection to yeah. something larger than us. Right. I mean, there have been songs that I've written, one of which we'll discuss, where... It just came to me in a flash, and you're just looking around going, thank you? Right. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but I'll take it. Right. We'll get into those tracks here, but first we're going to uh, saunter over to a little corner of the show we call Paul's Bullet Corner. Paul's Bullet Corner. Let's do it. Good morning. I'm going to be your instructor. Okay, I know you're anxious to jump right in. So Paul's Bullet Corner is the portion of the show where I summarize the project or album, in this case an EP, that we're listening to with abstract, brief poetry. And so I've boiled 
when life was figured out down to three bullet points. The first bullet point, Lucy Walsh, <gasps> is the first cup of coffee in the morning exactly the way you like it. Ooh. That's the feeling I get when I hear this album. It's And it's funny because I, I wrote that down before I even heard the line about coffee in the underwear. Yes. But I, that's the vibe I get. It's just, and there's nothing quite like that first cup of coffee in the morning. You know, it's so strange. I have never really, I mean, yeah, I love my first cup of coffee in the morning, but this morning I yeah. sat with my cup of coffee and savored that first sip. There How you go. strange. Cosmic. It's all meant to be. <laughs> wow. Bullet point number two a defiant reclamation of innocence. We deal a lot with the past. And as I was listening to the songs, you know, your disposition is fairly sunny at times. Yeah. But there was a defiance in the music that I heard here. A, no, that's my past. I'm going to take it back. It's mine. I can live there if I want. Even if you don't, and I may be reading into this, but it sounds like even when you're not all the way sure of something, there's still a (laughs) bravado to it. You know, there's still a yeah. a defiant, no, it's my, you know, kind of thing. So that's, wow. it, it's an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, that's really interesting. You, you gave me a lot to think about there. I hope so. Otherwise, I'm just saying gibberish. So I don't no, know. No, no. <laughs> you definitely did. I, I, I do have those exact feelings. And my last bullet point here, childlike, not childish. There's a state of purity that children have before they think that they have to figure things out. Yes. You know, the concept of adulthood prepares you for the awfulness of having to deal with the rest of humanity, basically. But when you're a kid, it's very pure. It's very, you see things, I think, with a clarity that you simply can't see in adulthood. And I think this record touches on that clarity in a really beautiful way. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense to me. I'm fascinated by that concept, and it's true. I try to... It's it's a very strange thing as an adult woman who is a creator. I want to be an adult. I want to be a full woman. I don't mm. want to remain childish, and I'm aware of that in myself. I try to... I try to be an adult, right? But... I also try to maintain that childlike place right. in, in myself, in my heart, where I can create from. And you need it. You just need it. Got to, yeah. to, to create anything. You have to. To me, I think it's finding it again. It's returning home. It feels like a homecoming, like a returning. Yeah. And I've done a lot of work to get back to that place and to open myself up again. I was very hardened and lost for most of my adult life. And I think I'm just now learning how to come from that pure, soft underbelly and still function as a go-getter in the world. Right. So it's a really strange dichotomy that I've put a lot of thought into. So I really like that bullet point. Good. Well, that's been uh, Paul's bullet corner and we're going to head into the tracks now. Let's just Let's cut to the chase. Let's talk about these songs. We have the title track here, When Life Was Figured Out. 
There's a bit of a somber quality to this song, but, you know, like a rain cloud or something, there's those edges of sun around there. It's almost like your perspective can't help but peek out a bit. You know, your your optimism can't help but peek out. But, uh, and I may be completely off base here, but when life was figured out, have you ever felt like you had life figured out? Um... It comes in fleeting moments, I think, where you go, oh, okay, I think, I think today I figured it out. I think, <laughs> I think this is it. And then the very next moment, it slips away. It's like sand through your fingers. Yeah. Give it any analogy you want. It's like trying to grab a cloud. Right. The idea of it seems like it's there. And then the second you try to hold that, it's not there. It's gone again, yeah. I think when I was younger, in my 20s, I felt like I had life figured out. But it was because I was very far from my true self. And I was willing to be whatever anybody wanted just to receive love. Yeah. So I didn't have my personal... I didn't have boundaries. I didn't know what boundaries were. I was just trying to be everything to everybody. Yeah. And... That makes you feel like you have life figured out because you go, oh, it's good. You know, I'm never, I'm never going to get hurt. Whatever. I'm just having fun. I'm just rolling with the punches, having fun. But actually, it's an illusion and, and you're deeply unhappy. I relate to that an awful lot. It's what was touching me about this song. Is, and it's like what we were talking about, right? The more you know, the more you realize you know nothing. If you're living for somebody else's expectations then as long as you're meeting that other person's expectations, your obligations are done because you're just being subservient to somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. It's like being on a drug (laughs) (laughs) and you can only, you can only stay high for so long. And I stayed high for as long as I could. And I'm glad those twenties are over. Those twenties, those are tough ones. Those twenties. Jesus, what the (laughs) hell are the twenties? I don't even know. So this song, When Life Was Figured Out, yeah, you're right, it does have a darkness to it, and I wanted that because I think for us as adults looking back on our childhood, there is a sadness to it. We tend to idealize our memories, assign it magical qualities, Mm. and I think there's a sadness in most of us, if I'm not mistaken, that we wish we could go back to this time when life was as simple as laying in the grass and waiting for your mom to tell you that dinner was ready (laughs) or whatever, or playing with your best friend. I mean, and so the song starts out on a very sad note for me personally. This song is extremely personal as all my songwriting is. I try to use as much of myself as I can in my songwriting. All the characters in this song are real. Kate, the best friend that I talk about in the beginning. It got sent away. Yep, she was my best friend, and she didn't get sent away. She stopped being friends with me when we were adults, actually. Wow. She dropped me like a hot potato, and this part about Kate in my song was me mourning that relationship because we had grown up in the grass together at sunset just waiting to be called in for dinner. She was my sister, and I've never understood why she ended our relationship. I've never been given an explanation 
So this song was my way of working it out again, like when I was a kid sitting at the piano, working through these emotions by the sounds I was able to create. Yeah. My songwriting is my therapy. So that was Kate. And um, Michael. Michael that? Valentine was my first boyfriend in kindergarten. I used to hold him down and kiss him in the playhouse. I was a very kissy, kissy kind of kid. I was kissing <laughs> little boys, little girls. I didn't care. I was just fascinated by kissing. And, um, and so that was Michael Valentine. I've looked him up a couple times to see what the heck happened to Michael Valentine, but I haven't found any trace of him ever again. I love that because I thought Michael Valentine, I thought that was more of like a poetic license sort of thing. My Michael Valentine. Yeah. That's pretty yeah, no, it was actually his name. <laughs> amazing. I love that. That's great. And then parts of the song, like, you know, lying on the concrete drive, the Beach Boys up so loud. How sad is it that a California kid didn't go to the beach, but would lay in the cement driveway with the Beach Boys on and pretend like I was at the beach? It sounds like a perfect afternoon to me. I don't know. About and you. I would have full on conversations <laughs> with, with Brian many. Wilson. Yeah, with Brian Wilson. <laughs> Many people were on the beach with me. It was it was a packed beach. It was really exciting. <laughs> so that song was produced by Cheche Alara, who's a Latin Grammy winner. He's also an incredible musician. He's played for Lady Gaga, Christina, Pink, and he produced that with me. I'm really wow. proud of that song. Really proud of that song. You have such beautiful tones in it. it just it's so Doesn't soft. Doesn't it sound like but, heaven? Yeah, it bubbles. It bubbles up into this grand thing, but it it there's such a softness to it as well. It's really, really beautiful, beautiful track. I love it. Gorgeous Thank melodies you. too. I actually had a question. When you're writing a song, is the melody coming to you in the production process? In other words, when you have certain elements or instruments added to the track, is that where you find the melody? Or is the melody baked in? with the maybe your lyrical phrasing or a piano lick or something how, how do you come about your melodies the melody is usually the first ingredient really so the melody usually comes to me i keep a tape recorder next to my bed because i get a lot of my songs in my dreams yeah or coming out of sleep in the morning and it's usually a musical line and there's so many mornings I've run to the piano to, to <laughs> you know record down this musical line and the melody is always paired with the words words sometimes will come later in the recipe but words and melody are the ingredients that I start with with the music of it so those three things are always all always baked before i get to the studio i don't once i hit the studio it's just a matter of production but i always i'm just realizing this for the first time as we're saying it but i always bring a finished product to the studio I, i'm not one of those people that like scats around in the studio to find <laughs> the song i think i'm too ocd for that <laughs> <laughs> Too much of a control freak to take that risk. Well, if you, especially if you have an abundance of songs, I, I can imagine that you, by the time you're getting into the studio to put some down, there's a purpose there, right? Yeah, much purpose. Yeah, I just have like hundreds of unrecorded songs. It's amazing. I was going through my demos the other day. Just like, how are these all going to see the light of day? I just feel like releasing 10 albums of 10 songs each for the next year. I mean, I could do that. <laughs> And they would be unfinished and rough, but fuck it, you know? <laughs> we got to get your album out. We got to get one. I know. We got to get it. 
Um, so let's talk about 1882. This is the second track, and this is a, a highlight for me on the record. You and me in London town, years ago, snow falling down, cathedral bells, the only sound, and we're in love. You sew the cloaks the kings all wear, you save the scraps and they don't care. Bring them home to me, you're made in fair. I'm coming at it from a male perspective, but when you're singing about being the maiden fair and dressing up and things like that and all the scraps and stuff, it's such beautiful poetry. And I was like, what was she singing about? Like, I kind of want to fuck him now. Like, I don't know what this is here, but this sounds great. So, um, 1882, can you tell me a little bit about that one? Is this, now I, I assume this was maybe a, is this a recent song? They're all within the last 10 years. Okay. 1882 was written with a wonderful musician singer named Dave Barnes mm. and produced by a dear friend of mine named Ryan Ogren, who has had songwriter written tracks for Maroon 5 and Backstreet Boys and even Blake Shelton. So it was done with those two guys. And this is a very dear concept to me. I was given my grandparents love letters from World War II when I was a teenager. I was going to ask about that, yeah. Yeah, and it got me thinking, what would it be like to fall in love in a different time in history? It's so strange now with dating apps and technology and right. instant gratification. <laughs> Everybody wants everything right now, and they don't cultivate relationships the way we have in past times of history. And it just became very fascinating to me thinking about falling in love in different times in history. I mean, imagine the courting process. Imagine the dating process. Imagine, you know, not having sex on a first date, but waiting until your wedding night. I mean, I know many, many people in the world do that. I have not done that in my life. So that's a very alien concept to me. But yeah, I just chose three different times in history. I start out in London. Let's say it's back in the 1700s, 1600s. And then I jump forward in time to summer 1944, which ties in directly with my grandparents' letters. And then I bring it to present day, New York City, having coffee in our underwear. Right. And that song is so special to me. And then I had a dream that it was supposed to be called 1882. And 1882 is also 100 years before I was born. So there's some hidden meaning. I don't quite understand it all, but it was definitely brought to me by the spirit world. And I'm really proud of that song. Yeah, it's a beautiful little song. Now, I thought the, I thought the London town nod might have been a passing reference to your, your husband. Yeah, well, that was divinely brought as well, because I've always been obsessed with England. <laughs> But no, yeah. he's a new development in my life, and I'm <laughs> now married to an Englishman, so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, really. Right. <laughs> That's, you really put him in his place sometimes. Listen, you're a new development in my life. <laughs> All right? Just... I have such a big mouth sometimes. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, my bad. God. Nothing wrong with it. It's so, so funny. F- funny enough, when you and, I think you and Annabelle talked a little bit about this track, 
on the Lucy and Annabelle show. And it's funny, I was screaming into to no one in particular. There's a, and I know you're going to make fun of me because I, it always <laughs> comes back to McCartney with me. and Always, and of course. Ryan. But there is an, uh, an unreleased Paul McCartney tune called 1882. No way. Yeah, it's not, I mean, it's nothing to do with yours, obviously, but it is interesting that there's, I don't know, something kind of weird and cosmic about that, too. What yeah. the fuck, Paul? <laughs> Stealing my titles? I'm going to have to call him. <laughs> like a strongly worded letter. <laughs> yeah. Listen, you. Listen, you. You knight. Knight wow. of the Wow. I'll have to listen to that song. I did not know that. Good morning. Uh, some kid getting killed at the gulag for stealing a loaf of bread or something like that. Wow. It's very bizarre. He wrote it. In, anyway, doesn't matter. Wow. Um, <laughs> but I love this song. I, I love the jumping around the time periods. I did actually have that question about the um, the World War II stuff because you know you're in active development on a project associated with those letters. Yes, that, from your grandparents, and so I did wonder if there was a, an element of that to it. Um, yeah, it definitely ties in. Yeah, I've developed a television show based on these letters, and I'm in network pitches to all kinds of, you know, big names. It's quite a process. It seems like, and I don't know you personally very well, but it seems like you're the kind of person who would really enjoy a pitch. I do really enjoy a pitch. I love an audience. I love a microphone. <laughs> I'm such a ham. Yeah, ever since I was little, I, I, I had this big silver radio, and I would tell my brother and sister stories. I would sit them down and make them listen to me while I told them stories. You know, once upon a time, blah, 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 blah. But then I realized that if I pressed record on my stereo, I could reach not only my brother and sister, but the world. Amazing. And I became obsessed with recording myself because I thought, I could tell a story to one person or I could tell a story to a million people. <laughs> so, yes, I do love an audience and a pitch. I love a good pitch. Oh, yeah. Well, all of life is, you know, at least human, interhuman connection is storytelling in a way. I mean... That's why, is because yeah. I love stories, and I want stories to reach as many people as possible. That's my obsession. It's a compulsion. When you get right down to it, we're all sort of cave people sitting around a campfire talking about the fucking mammoth exactly. we killed that day, and it's, it's really what storytelling is. I mean, in a sense, you know, you're, it just, is. you're mythologizing your own experience for any number of reasons but it's yes yeah, sharing you're sharing, sharing your experience and i think that is the deepest human need yeah in all of us is to share our experience and that is every human's right to do so so that we don't feel alone exactly and you're not alone anymore is a cover that you covered uh a traveling wilbury song of all things on the yes. uh, royal orbison <laughs> speaking of beatles yeah traveling wilburys I love that cover. You did such a f 
damn fine job with that song. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was produced again by my friend Ryan Ogren, who did 'Cause Barbara Orbison was a dear, dear friend of mine. She passed mm-hmm. away some years ago, but she was such a support for my music and she invited me to record one of Roy's covers for his tribute album. And she sent me the box set. Can you believe that? It was such a treat. She sent me the Amazing. box set. She said, Choose any song you want as long as it's not already taken by another artist. And I just had my pick of all his songs. <laughs> And I suppose I chose that title because of what we're talking about. It's one of my favorite songs on that first Traveling Wilburys album. And that first Traveling Wilburys album, there's not a lot of duds on there, really. No, (laughs) not a lot of duds. It's one of my favorites, even amongst all those. uh, So I was was happy to hear you covered that because I was like, oh, that's interesting. It's it's interesting. It's not a usual cover, but you sounded gorgeous doing it. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about track three here, The Awakening. So this is another one that I had a little bit of knowledge about because you mm-hmm. talked about this a bit on the Lucy and Annabelle show. Yes. mistaken you were in nashville or you were in tennessee i was in nashville yeah and you came across a house can you tell us a little bit about how the awakening came about yeah i was doing a lot of songwriting in nashville and i have this habit where if i'm on tour and i have a day off or even an hour off i will just go (laughs) just go out into the city to find something interesting whether it's a bookshop or a museum or you know a park or something whatever that city's got to offer yeah. And I just started driving and I was driving through the country and it was getting dark and it was sunset. And I ended up at this mansion called the Bellmead Plantation mm. in the middle of nowhere. And it was super creepy. It's a museum. It's a beautiful museum, but no one was around. And I snuck through a hole in the gate. <laughs> I, again, I felt compelled. This house was just like a magnet. I, I was yeah. terrified because I it was scary. It was dark. It was getting dark. You know, the woods of Tennessee are not exactly... Uh, <laughs> the most welcoming place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I get up to this house and, and, I, and I'm looking in the windows and it's fully furnished and it's ugh, 300 years old. 
Amazing. And my God, I just, I was obsessed with it. I felt like I'd been there before. I felt like it, it felt like a past life thing. I don't, everybody, I don't know who believes in past lives, but I do. And I went home back to my hotel that night and it was just haunting me. I was haunted. I was haunted by this house. And I went to bed that night and I woke up the next morning and I had this song. Yeah. It was wild. And I went into the studio the next day. Wow. And I worked with my co-writer and I wrote that song, The Awakening, and it was given to me in a dream. What uh, studio did, were you recording that in, in Nashville? Do you, do you recall or no? No, I came back to Los Angeles to do the demo. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, okay. That ended up being the yeah. EP that you're hearing. And I did that again with Ryan Ogren, with my dear friend. The production is so gorgeous. There, yeah. I mean, there's an eerie ghost-like quality to it, a little. You know, there's that piano, the do-do-do-do sort of I know. Thing. I really wanted that ghost, like, because I felt haunted. I'm still haunted by that song. And I'm haunted by that place. I've returned there a couple more times. And then I did a music video to go along with it. Yes. And funny fact, the underwater stuff, we shot it in my dad's pool. Oh, wow. (laughs) And it was freezing that night. And we had one take to get it right. Yeah. And uh, so I'm really proud of the shots that we got because that was really brutal to get that in the freezing night air and water. so beautiful. (laughs) music video i love the music video I, thank I you it looks really nice just thank shot you. beautifully matches the music and that track's a highlight for me on the record but as is the next track awful sorry i've seen your face a million times but now you're someone i don't recognize backing track you've got going on here really beautiful musicianship but you've also got those harmonies dancing on top of it too so there's a we keep talking about the dichotomy or the juxtaposition there's a lot of that going on in this track so it sounds like a breakup song on the surface yes it's definitely a breakup song now this is an example of this is a song that i recorded when i was on island def jam this is one of the masters that i got back wow and this was written and produced with me by Lester Mendez. He's a Grammy-winning producer. He's done Shakira, Jewel, Enrique Iglesias, a lot of people. Wow. Wonderful guy. And we did this over at Henson Studios in Los Angeles. I'm really proud of this song. I'm proud of all these songs. It's like your children, you know? <laughs> but yeah, Awful Sorry is an example of different production styles that I've gone through along my journey. At one point, I was playing with a lot of 80s elements. Yeah. And you can hear that in this track with these different synths. I think that's why I took to it so much. I really like that. Yeah, I really think this track is powerful. And I again, this is a perfect example. I wanted this song to see the light of day. And it doesn't go with me now, Lucy in present time, and the music that I'm working on next. But I thought, why not just release it on this 2020 EP and just let it live? Yeah, it's funny that Annabelle kind of plays with a similar 80s-ish 
She does, kind of yeah. Vibe on mm-hmm. on her most recent material, especially. So it's just, just another cosmic connection. It is a cosmic about. connection. Yeah, yeah. I've I, I'm not toying with the '80s anymore, but I love the lyrics of this song, and I think the track is stunning. Yeah, I I eat that sound up with a spoon. I love it. I thought the Me production too. of the bunch here. I think I enjoyed this production the most. Is that? I had a question. Is that you harmonizing with yourself? Yeah, I always harmonize with myself. I do all my own singing. And I would say that's because I grew up being obsessed with Enya. (laughs) And so I always want to Enya out all my tracks. I can't get enough of layering those harmonies. Oh, I just want to live in that world. (laughs) <laughs> Enya's getting her due these days. She's She I mean, is. Those songs have aged remarkably well. Oh, I know. They're timeless. Yeah. And I hear she's just a badass. She just like lives in Scotland in a castle with her cats. Exactly. Yeah. Collecting royalties <laughs> from fucking pure moods or whatever. Enya <laughs> is the most badass woman. I she's my spirit animal. She's royalty collecting royalties. She is. Love the bass. Oh my god, the bass on this song. Oh, it just drives. It's just like a, a a train going through, you know? It doesn't let up. It's just got this backbone that doesn't yeah. let you down the whole time. It's really, oh, I love I'm a sucker song. for a great bass line, and this one has it in spades. I mean, yeah, the record is full of beautiful musicianship. Is it you playing piano on, on most of these tracks, or were you in situations with session musicians that were playing too? No, anytime it's piano, it's always me. Um, I believe for this track, Lester played all the other instruments. Yeah. Wow. I know. Track five, Like Winter Leaves the Sun. The unfinished demo. Okay, okay. So this is another <laughs> highlight for me. I love the. Um, you got those, those little synthy bridge sections. Really Isn't beautiful. it great? I Your know. Your voice sounds so natural. Listen to me lovely. telling. Listen to me space. saying. Isn't this great? Isn't it great? <laughs> oh no! It's so, great. Because once I create the music, then I become a fan of what I created, and I'm. It's not about me anymore. I'm. I'm in. You know. I'm. I adore these songs, and I love this song, uh, even though it's a demo. I never properly recorded this. This is the writing demo that I did with Ryan Ogren in the studio when I finished writing the song. Wow. We talked about all these elements together, and like Winter Leaves the Sun, I did that with it. I wanted to create this song on a really epic scale. Yeah. It's in the realm of the film compositions that I'm obsessed with. I want the, you know, Gregorian priest choir. (laughs) I want the children's choir. I want layers. I want many vocals. I want the powerful soaring melody. This song is heightened reality. It takes you to another world that is 
really intense and it takes you on a roller coaster, you know, it, it builds up and then it lets down and then it builds up again. And Oh, I love this song. There is a cinematic quality to the lyric. I mean, when I hear a phrase like when winter leaves the sun, it evokes for me. And again, I grew up on the East coast, but I think everybody who's spent any time in some colder climates can relate. It evokes for me those days, those winter days where the sun is beating down, but it's freezing outside. Yeah. And there's something that feels inherently sort of wrong about the situation. There's something inherently unnerving about it because the idea of the sun beating down, but I'm still freezing cold is interesting. It's something I don't miss at all about the East Coast, to be honest with you. But wow, uh, yeah. but that's the image. And it so it gave me that big sweeping visual. It's a, it's a really nice visual, really. I'm interested that you said that about the sun, because to me, that's a perfect way to describe how it feels when you're in a relationship, but the love has gone away. That's Oof. what I was writing about. Ice cold. Yeah. yeah, it is ice cold, and, and it's exactly what you just described. I'm so happy you put it that way because you're there with the person. You're still right. going through the motions, but the warmth is gone. And it's confusing, and it's scary, and it feels off, and it feels unhealthy and yeah. negative. And we stay there, unfortunately, sometimes for longer than we should. Right. This song is like trying to figure it out within yourself. You know, I know that hope alone won't save me, but I like know. hoping it'll get better, hoping the relationship <laughs> right. will improve. Still, I hold my breath until the time is just right because I don't want anyone to hate me. If I were to leave, like winter leaves the sun because I know you're not the one. Yeah, And that's a tough place to arrive at within ourselves. It takes a, a long time sometimes for people to really come to terms with the fact that they should leave. I pulled those exact same lyrics. And when... I heard you say that I don't want anybody to hate me. You know, that's another thing. Again, you know, I find myself relating to a lot of your perspective on things because that's something I felt. I, think, I suspect a lot of people have felt. I, I hope, yeah, I think so. Yeah. When life deals you these difficult, sometimes I think you put it, I'm not sure if it was in this song or a different one, in impossible situations. Yeah. I think that's the next track, but... You know, I don't want anybody to hate me, but I have to do this. Exactly. It's tough. And that could be in love. It could be in friendship. It could be in work. It happens to us throughout our lives. And it's, whew, it never gets easier. No, it doesn't. Like I said earlier with the first song I ever wrote that I took the Lord of the Rings chords. Yeah. This was a song where I took the Owl City song, Vanilla Twilight. Mm. I love Owl City. And I was really interested in the fact that he didn't have a chorus in that song. Yeah. And I really thought that was unique. And I wanted to see if I could do that myself. And so this was my version of Vanilla Twilight by Owl City. And if you listen to that song, you can hear some similarities, although they're completely different songs. But I do that a lot. I think just as exercises, for, as challenges for myself. I'll put my headphones on and listen to a song and write my own song while I'm listening to that song. Yeah. So that it infuses my song with the energy that I'm trying to get from that other song. Yeah. 
It's a strange thing. I don't know if any other songwriter does that, but <laughs> I think other people do it in sometimes a bit more of litigiously murky ways. Um, but <laughs> the, but the, yeah, I've heard that a lot. You know, um, especially if you need to kickstart the creative process. I've yeah, it's heard a great way. Songwriters like Stephen Van Zandt. I think one of his pieces of advice he had given a, a close friend of mine was, if you're stuck. Start with a song you like and change it a little. <laughs> okay, yeah. So there you go. I'm not the only one. <laughs> but, exactly. but I think what you're talking about is more of mood than than that. But um, Well, you know what? Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, we're all standing on the shoulders of those who came before, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. So let's talk about the final track on the EP, So I Fall. Just to save myself again. Oh my, the orchestration, gorgeous. Pretty fun, right? Those were synth strings. It was all in Ryan Ogren's production getup that he has at his home. Yeah. But yeah, that song is definitely showing my classical roots with that (laughs) string part. And I wrote that song in Nashville with Liz Rose, who has written a lot with Taylor Swift. Yeah. Grammy-winning woman, love Liz Rose. And then I did the production here in Los Angeles. And this song is about unrequited love. Yeah. Somebody that you've never actually been with, but, you know, the fire just keeps burning. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating when that happens. Very frustrating. And, and I oh, think yeah. this, this song was me letting out my frustration about a situation <laughs> like that. <laughs> it's the, the cruelest kind of love. <laughs> It is cruel. And yet, it can be quite sweet because you, oh, yeah. you don't actually have to deal with the person. <laughs> oh, you're so funny. <laughs> but there was something like that. I had more like when I was younger, you know, I had that a lot. And uh, You're so funny. And then I, you realize, ooh, I dodged a bullet there. Yeah, this, wow, this person <laughs> farts a lot. Yeah. My God. It's pretty incessant. I had a question for you. Do you believe, Lucy Walsh, in the impossible situation? Yes, I do. That is not the answer I was expecting. (laughs) I'm not (laughs) sure what the question means, but I'm going to say yes. I I guess I'm just thinking abstractly. You talked about the impossible situation, and and now I know that it's about unrequited love, so that makes sense. But I was thinking, as an idea, the impossible situation, you know? There's no there's no resolution. I suppose I believe in it too, and I guess it's a matter of like what you then go do with that, right? Because you could take comfort in that, knowing no matter what I do, still impossible. Or you could be very frustrated and angry about it, want to change it. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm a hopeful, eternal optimist. I will Mm. never give up hope, and that has hurt me a lot uh, with relationships that are never going to be what I wish that they could be. Right. So, oh, God, you stumped me with this question because, 
Yes, that childlike innocence inside of me does believe in the impossible situation in all things. Yeah. Um, however, now that I have more boundaries and understand how to keep myself safe and take care of myself in relationships, I know that you have to walk away. I know that you should never convince somebody to care about you or love you or want the relationship. You don't have to convince anybody. The right things, the right people will love you and you won't have to work for it. What a beautiful idea. So you stumped me there. <laughs> I love that. I love I love great. I believe in both. I believe in the impossible situation and in saying fuck off, I'm done with you. <laughs> <laughs> and you just kind of waffle back and forth between the two, you know. <laughs> you got to. Well, that's life. That's the the in between. Yeah. Um, you are such an amazing songwriter, such Thank an amazing you. person. I love. I could. I feel like I could talk to you for another seven hours just about all the different stuff that you've done. We haven't even touched on your acting or anything like that. I do want to ask though. Talk about getting that album out, getting yes. some albums going. What else you got on the horizon here, Lucy? Anything to plug? I did my new single, Enough, with Tyson Kelly, who's currently traveling all over Europe in the number one Beatles tribute band. He plays John Lennon. Far out. I know. It's pretty amazing. And then in the meantime, while that single comes out, I am in the studio now, actually, for my new EP, a five-song EP wow. that I am producing with Michael Simzik. And Michael's dad is Bill Simzik, who has produced the Eagles from the yeah. beginning. Wow. So we're passing Amazing. it down through the family lineages. <laughs> and all new songs, all wow. stuff that I've written during quarantine. Yeah. I can't wait to let it live. Wonderful. New music from Lucy <laughs> yeah. Walsh. Well, we really look forward to that. Thank you so much for joining us today. What a delight. What a, Thank what a pleasure. Thank you so much. I loved talking to you. You're so kind and smart and curious, and uh, I admire you a lot. I would say at least one of those things is true. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I appreciate, I appreciate well, it, Lucy. Most of what you said about me today is not true, but, you know, a couple things. <laughs> I've got it. Well, you know, you throw some spaghetti, you see what sticks. I'll let the audience decide what they think is true. Do you have an opinion about the album we discussed today? Contact us at, at now here this podcast on Instagram, at now here this pod on Twitter, facebook.com slash now here this podcast, or email us at nowhearthisofficial at gmail.com. See you next time. Hey, everybody. Paul here. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Lucy Walsh. Thanks again to Lucy for joining us. And I thought I'd play out the episode today with a duet that Lucy and I had done recently for one of my other podcasts, The Third Men Podcast where we conducted an open show recently, and Lucy participated and sang a gorgeous, gorgeous rendition of the Tours song, Many Shades of Black. So I'm going to play out here with myself on guitar and Lucy on stunning vocals with Many Shades of Black. And thanks, everybody, again for listening. Enjoy every sandwich, and see you next time. 
smash it on the floor Take whatever's left And take it with you out the door See if I cry See if I shed a single sorry tear I can't say that it's been that great No, it's been a wasted, worried year Everybody sees And everyone agrees That you and I are wrong And it's been that way too long Take it as it comes be thankful when it's done There's so many ways to act And there's many shades of black Oh, there's many shades of black Oh, many shades of black Let it out, let it all out And say what's on your mind you can kick and scream and shout and say things that are so unkind See if I care, see if I stand firm or if I fall Cause in the back of my mind and the tip of my tongue is the answer to it all Everybody sees and everyone agrees that you and I are it comes be thankful when it's done there's so many ways to act and there's many shades of black oh many shades of black oh there's many shades of black Well, hey, Brian. Hey, Paul. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm here to tell the listeners that if they'd like to contribute mm. to help keeping these Now Hear This episodes coming, well, they can donate featuring the wonderful new donation technology that ACAST has developed for us. That's right. ACAST has helped us out. They host the show. Yeah, our hosts, ACAST, have made it really easy to donate to the show. They have an ACAST supporter feature, and there's a link in the show description that you can follow to kick a couple bucks for the show. It can be five bucks, a hundred bucks, less than a dollar. We don't care. Yeah, just something to keep the lights on. It's all out of pocket, and we do this out of love, and that's it. And we love you all for listening. Thank you very much for doing that. Couldn't said it better myself. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, bye then. <laughs>